0: i've been i've been doing criterion uh just kind of letting the playlists take me where they will um uh just been very interesting i've done a lot of ken russell which i've I've very much enjoyed that ken russell's ken russell's a weird Mm -hmm. one because i was i loved i was a big classic rock kid i loved the who so like i saw tommy like so many times when i was a teenager and like hadn't really seen a lot of other ken russell and um so it's been very interesting to dive into his stuff because they've got, you know, like the stuff I should have seen, like the Devils, I finally saw for the first time, and um, but then I watched yeah. the boyfriend, and I
1: saw you watch the boy. I saw you watch the boyfriend, yeah, yeah. which is a very, very like, like meta musical in a very odd British way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the colors are so vibrant in that movie. Yeah, like the production design of the stage is incredible, yeah, and
0: it's such a it's such an interesting take on that, like oh this is like this is like a really bad version of this but in their minds it's a really good show and so you get these like I mean you know all, aren't all musical sequences somewhat hallucinatory <laughs> or, uh, inside some a dream sequence in some way but, um, but yeah those have been really fun and then I've been diving into this um, interdimensional love uh, playlist they did
1: because I have the internal sunshine spotless minds on mm-hmm. there
0: yeah I watched a I I watched a weird one from like 2000 uh called waking the dead with jennifer connelly and billy crudup oh. it, and like halfway through it i was like i was like what does this remind me of and then i just realized that it's it's that late 90s like very serious supernatural like kind of love story like i, I like meet joe black or like uh yeah like uh what was it sliding doors sliding doors yeah, we put, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just like I was like, ah, this is taking itself a little too seriously, but it was very, like, <laughs> it's like set in the 70s and Billy Credup is like a upstart young Republican lawyer and Jennifer oh. Connelly's a hippie and they start dating and all their conversations are like, you can't ignore what's going on in Vietnam. And I was like, how, you know, <laughs> I, I put in my review, I was like, this is just, it's the way we were, but with like, you yeah. w- weird, uh, supernatural element to it but um you can't you can't not enjoy watching billy crud up and jennifer Connolly for uh yeah and there's just weird this will segue us into the movie there's like robert duvall's in it for like uh, two shots <laughs> like i don't know how this movie got cut but it's like he's the opponent that when when uh when billy crudup like eventually runs for senate they like show a news clip uh-huh. of his opponent and it's and you're like oh sick robert duvall's in this and then he never shows up in person <laughs>
1: it's, like, it's well it's like the beginning of invasion of the body snatchers where robert duvall's in the priest outfit yeah, and like, yeah. oh robert duvall's gonna be in this movie and then he's never in it again <laughs> <laughs> but yeah anyway back to what we're talking about today thomas we've been talking about a month uh and that is mobster Mafia movies. Before you that, I'm Brand Sparks.
0: I'm Thomas Horton.
1: This is Nation podcast, and like I said, this moment we're talking about mobster mafia movies, and we've covered a lot of big ones, and then a lot of kind of ones you don't think of. But today we're kind of talking about not actually the one that everyone thinks of with this with this series. We went the opposite way a little bit because I was like, everyone talks about the Godfather, but no one really talks enough about Godfather Part Two. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Before we do that, Thomas, what have we talked about all this month about this specific genre?
0: Well, you know, surprisingly, I feel like Godfather Part 2 f- fits a little bit more into the way that this month has gone because we've kind of, yep, we've kind of, subcon like, we did not do this on purpose, but a lot of this month has specifically gone into, uh, especially if you listen to our Patreon, has gone into, like, movies about trying to go legitimate. And, uh... Yeah. And, and whether or not you can, you know, once you've kind of descended into the mafia and the life of violence, is it possible to get out? Um, we did mm-hmm. a history of violence, which is very much about that and and not, you know, not even about trying to make your business legitimate, but just trying to start over. And, and can you ever truly yeah. get away from from what you've done in the mafia? Um, and on, our, on Patreon, we did uh, the Long Good Friday, which is about trying to kind of make your mafia business a little bit more uh, Mm -hmm. lawful and and yeah um and i mean even like we've we've said a couple of times in in scarface he's he's kind of constantly asked to go legitimate and and just realizes that that he can't but um yeah but yeah so uh, what we've we keep kind of bringing it back to is this idea of the way that the mafia is specifically depicted in america and the kind of mm-hmm. romanticizing of it, this idea, and and, and The Godfather Two, especially, I think, is really important for going into the kind of lore of like why it wasn't why why the Italian immigrants needed the mafia here, and and how yeah. it became this thing that was so closely tied to family and religion, but also violence mm-hmm. and murder, and and uh, it's it's a very complex situation specifically here in america and in italy it's it's Mm -hmm. more of an i think godfather part two will give us a look into this too and in italy it's a little bit more of just straight up we do crime and nobody likes us but everybody's afraid of us um and so yeah we talked about kind of the allure of the life in in goodfellas and in scarface this idea especially when you're young or when you've just arrived to america and you see people who are living this life and how kind of Mm -hmm. easy it looks to just break rules and, and make money and have fun and and then how out of hand it can get as you uh as you let it take over your life
1: yeah and and like we've talked about kind of before how you, can, the, you said the italian stuff it's like always so depressing when when uh the american movies were were seen as like oh mafia's kind of fun and, and then you have your comeuppance at the end like with goodfellas um like with scarface but with this one, I, I read Copeland or heard Copeland talk about how, like, he had gotten criticism with the g- first Godfather. Like, it glamorized the lifestyle. I goes, so I wonder if it was, like, really showing you how depressing the lifestyle could be and how isolating it could be. Um, but, yeah, we talked about how this movie can or this genre will, the, the at least the American stuff, will kind of be a example of, like, American capitalism. The American kind of the the underbelly of the American dream. Of how like in Scarface, Tony Montana uh, is coming to back, coming to America, watching his Cuban mother uh, like slave away and be poor because she's doing by doing right by the American dream and is going to make it. But it's still just like living paycheck to paycheck when Tony is not following the rules of what the people who created the country set up. And that's how he succeeds. And he knows it. that she's kind of this falling in love with this idea that's not real. But in the end, it's that he's a character we has to keep having more, and more, and more. And in this showering, you learn is that if you if you get too flashy, if you get too greedy, uh, that's when everything got kind of goes up in flames. Mm. And there is always like a character a lot of the time be like, hey, slow it down, keep it small, like don't draw attention to yourself because that's how you can survive in this world for so long. And and always there is if it's Tony Montana or if it's kind of uh um. Ray Liotta with with kind of his drug getting involved in drugs mm. when 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 Polly kind of tells him not to uh, it always that's always kind of the downfall he got too greedy with it and didn't just want to have a regular American dream life you could have just that they wanted everything mm. the world is yours and that's what kind of leads their downfall uh, you also kind of have this sense of paranoia that will run through some of these movies where. There's a character like Montana, like even, I think, Michael in this one as well. His stuff is a little more uh, correct, is that there's a paranoia that someone's always going to try to take your spot. Mm -hmm. Someone's coming to kind of take what you earned, what you took from someone else, uh, and there becomes a level of distrust within your closest friends uh, and family. Um, And yeah, and you also kind of have what I've also seen a lot is the kind of how this life can eventually tear like a marriage apart we talked about that with with Scarface talked about with Goodfellas we talked about with History of Violence how how they have this Vigo and Maria Bello have this very like vanilla relationship but loving relationship and then once his past comes back into play it starts to tear that marriage apart Mm -hmm. and the same thing with the Godfire series between Kay Diane Keaton's character and Pacino uh, with Michael is that when you first see them in Godfather, they're this loving young couple, and they're again very Americana. They're gonna get married. They're gonna, I think they've just gotten married. Mm-hmm. What it is, but they're gonna have this wonderful life together. And then this, when when Michael becomes more and more involved, it begins to tear them apart. To where in this movie, it tears them completely apart by the end of it. And it's again Pacino shutting the door on Keaton uh for his new life versus what they initially had together mm. um so a lot of stuff it feels like a lot of stuff's coming to a head with godfire part two and that's kind of the re- this series is kind of the reason why this genre kind of become became a more i think beloved genre and the kind of new hollywood and an 80s kind of movement of this um so with all that like i said we're talking about the godfire part two today And The Godfather Part II, based on Mario Puzo's novel, original novel from 1969, uh, he wrote the screenplay with Francis Ford Coppola, uh, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, and produced by Francis Ford Coppola, uh, the sequel to the hit 1972 film, The Godfather, the adaptation of Puzo's novel. In terms of returning people from the original Mm -hmm. film, you have Al Pacino, Robert Duvall, Diane Keaton, Talia Shire, uh, Morgana King... John Cazale also stars Marina Hill and Lee Strasberg. Um, Godfire One, as we'll talk about a little bit later, was a big hit and they had to make a sequel to it. And this time, the idea was to, instead of just telling one story, the idea was to tell two stories of kind of the rise and fall of the family in some way. The rise with young Vito Corleone and how he comes to America from Italy and then kind of the fall of the family with michael his son taking over mm-hmm. um after and you're kind of seeing like the 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 troubles and the struggles that come with living this life mm-hmm. with after michael gets an attempt on his life he has to kind of rethink everything that's happened and he makes a lot of uh drastic decisions that will lead to kind of the unraveling of what his father set up and then with, with with Vito young Vito storyline, you're seeing kind of how it all set up and kind of the early days of Little Italy in New York and the immigrants, like you said, coming over from Italy to America. So with Godfire Part two, Thomas, what's your history with it?
0: Uh I saw this one for the first time when I took that uh Italian cinema class. Italian? Yeah. I had seen uh-huh. the first one, you know, many times on on AMC, uh I think uh uh, David mentioned when we were doing Goodfellas that they were always showing uh,
1: Thanksgiving, like early yeah, Christmas, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the Godfather. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so
0: I'd seen the Godfather many times, and I had picked up part two here and there. But it's it's part two is is it's a little bit more story wise. You you gotta you gotta be locked in to uh, yeah. to know what's what's really going on with two. So yeah, it was college the first time I sat down with two, and I, I had always heard. People say like, "Oh, two's better than one or, the, you know, there's kind of a fight between uh, people of the two opposing schools. But um, I'd always been like, nah, man, one's a masterpiece. There's no way. And then I sat down with two and I was like, mm, maybe it might. It might be. <laughs> it might be. Um, it's up there. So it's still it's still not one. It's kind of the reason I, I s- suggested that we do this one. And so the first one is I still don't come back to it as often. It is, it is not. Yeah, it's not one you can pick up it doesn't have as many scenes as like the first one where you're scrolling and you're like, it's wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you're like, Oh, I want to stay yeah. for, for this scene. You know, it doesn't have the, the, uh, the, the massacre. Um, you know, if you're, if you're scrolling in the first and one's no horses head. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but overall there's just some really, I think some really great performances in here. I think it's a really cool story. I think all the Cuba stuff is so interesting. Um, yeah. And, and I think we get some, I think it's it's such an insanely different performance for Pacino from the first one. And I mean, Michael's like a completely different person from from the first one. Yeah. And we get a little bit more John Cazale, which I love. So so there's there's a lot of things that bring me back to this one. I still don't know exactly where I stand on on which one's better. But I definitely think I mean, they're definitely neck and neck. I don't think there's a clear answer in in my mind. I mean,
1: Godfire 2 is kind of the one. And we'll talk about kind of how this essentially establishes the Hollywood sequel Mm -hmm. in a way. There's always kind of sequels before this movie, as we've talked about. Many years ago in our sequel month, with movies like *Bride of Frankenstein* and kind of the horror movies, and uh, even even the Mickey Rooney movies of the world, with like Andy Hardy mm-hmm. series and everything, there's always sequels. But but *Godfather* Part Two kind of established like the Hollywood mm-hmm. sequel, where we're bringing everybody back and we're doing a continuation. We're putting two in the title. We'll th- we'll talk about that later. But it it's very much like, and it's like oh. That one did well. We're putting a crap ton of money behind mm-hmm. this one when we weren't as we we didn't know we didn't have as much faith uh in the previous one, but now it's like we're laying it all down for this one. Um but it, it and it becomes in that and the argument like what's the greatest sequel of all time, Godfire Part Two is kind of always seen as the the top tier mm-hmm. version of it. It's like it's it's like if it's if it's a non sci-fi film, it was like, Yeah, it's like Godfire Part Two if it's a great sequel. If it's a sci-fi film, it's like, oh, it's it's Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. That's that's it's it's that one. That's where he, I've been hearing with Dune Part Two of late. But like when Dark Knight came out, it was like, oh, it's the Godfather of superhero movie. Godfire Part two of superhero <laughs> movies. And I was like, okay. And so you always hear that's the, if you want to compare something as a great sequel, Godfire Part Two is always the benchmark for mm-hmm. people. And like I said, I felt like it's the movie that, like, it's not as discussed within the the cinema world. Everyone's like, oh, it's it's one of the greatest movies of all time, Godfather Part II. But like you said, you're not seeing as many clips from it like uh, Brando. I'm like, I'm an awfully can't refuse. You're not seeing any of that really from this movie. But it's a movie that it's also a, a longer film, if I'm not mistaken, by a little bit, uh, almost three and a half hours long. But I think the movie moves so incredibly well Mm -hmm. and maybe I'm just insane for that. But I watched it and I was just like, I'm done with this, but I don't really, I can't really tell you like, uh, like there'd be like a lot of scenes in this movie. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's still very like long scenes, a lot of, a lot kind of brooding a little bit also from, from Michael's character, um, but there's so much going on
0: plot-wise, like, you know. It's It feels it, so, so feel much, so much more complicated than the first one. Uh, it with just feels like, like a bunch happening.
1: of ch- a, a bunch a bunch of chess moves in both storylines. Mm-hmm. Like there's some. Uh, it's like Michael is more of this kind of, um, and even and even in Vito's storyline, these like moves to get to like point A to point B of like Michael being like, yo, I think this guy tried to kill me. Well. I got I to gotta like, it's like when he talks, we'll talk about favorite scenes, but again, like when he's talking to Tom Hagen, like if I, if I think what's happening is happening, stuff's already in motion and I mm-hmm. got to make, I got to start making some moves and you're the only one I trust. So I'm giving you, I'm giving you the Don name until I'm back because mm-hmm. I got to figure this shit out basically. But then you're seeing that with Don Vito where it's like, how do I, it's because Don Vito's in a weird way. It's kind of this revenge story. Like Mm -hmm. it's this idea of like how violence and revenge kind of makes and breaks this family. I
0: hate the mafia so much. I'm going to become the mafia.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, like yeah, that's basically what it is, is that Don Vito is kind of like early on, as it talks about with De Niro, it's like, he's watching the mafia kind of harm his neighborhood. And then he's like, screw it. I'm going to, it's kind of becomes this Robin hood type thing. I'm going to take over, but I'm it more of what what I think the mafia should be. It's about the people, yeah. And like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not it, about I, I'm not I'm not about like getting the, them money to make myself better. It's about how how do we make everyone's life, be- life better?
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. It it speaks directly to like we've been saying that kind of the the di- the dichotomy between the Italian mafia and the the American yeah. mafia, and this idea that they they'll always think no matter what they've become, they'll always think that they've got this kind of honorable. Uh, establishment of being like we're we're yeah. looking out for the Italian immigrants who who need you know somebody to have their back against the cops and the yeah. and the other uh, people that are hustling them kind of thing. Whereas yeah. in Italy, do you do you know do you, do you know how the how the mafia started in in Italy, Brandon? I do not, Thomas. Uh, just quick, quick history lesson. And so I'm sure somebody will write in and be like, that's not, that's not. But this is, this is how I read a book. I read a book in my Italian, <laughs> Italian cinema class. Um, in Sicily, there were like lemon orchards where like the mm-hmm. uh, cash crop. Lemons were like the cash crop in Sicily. Yep. And. They, they, these competing lemon orchards would start like sabotaging each other's lemon trees like at night they'd send people over and so these lemon orchard owners would start hiring people and they amass these uh-huh. little like armies of like thugs to either protect their orchards or like go yeah. do these covert or go, or, yeah. missions on other orchards and then it became these little like army mafia families uh-huh. uh all based around the lemon trees
1: that's wild. Well, that'll make sense for next month. <laughs> we'll talk about next month's topic later. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 just it's 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 interesting kind of seeing like again how these parallel stories work mm-hmm. between Vito and Michael, and we'll discuss more in favorite scenes about that. But let's get into kind of the history of how this movie got into production. Um, a lot of this came from a site called Death by Films, they did a pretty good job of kind of putting a like they're like hey. A lot of people have been talking about the Godfather making of. We're going to do one about Godfather Part Two. So, a lot of this came from this. Some was also from interviews from Coppola over the years, from Pacino over the years, Um, some kind of like local uh, newspaper articles from the area where they shot at. So, we'll talk. It's kind of a lot of this stuff's coming from all these different sources. But before we talk about Godfather Part Two, we need to start with where it all began, Thomas. And that's with Mario Puzo's original novel. The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Puzo had spent a lot of time researching organized crime is in his hometown of New York City, and while Puzo was in the middle of writing the novel in 1967, a literary scout for Paramount Pictures got their hands on a 60-page manuscript of the novel and thought it was pretty good. And so they passed it to Paramount's vice president of production, Peter Bart. Bart saw potential in the novel, and he offered Puzo a $12,500 option for the novel, with the option of another. 80000 if the film was actually made. Side note, Peter Bart still works today as a writer. I don't know if you recognize his name. Uh, he still works for Deadline, writing a bunch of oh, articles no yeah, every yeah. week. Yeah, yeah, that's the name. 91 years old. Wow. 91 years old, still writing consistently at the time of recording this. Uh, he was he was very, Bart was very instrumental in the early days of the new Hollywood movement uh, when working at Paramount under kind of their star executive, Robert Evans, uh, Bob Evans, we talked about several times in the show previously. Most recently, Chinatown, I think, which was released the same year as Godfather Part Two. Uh, Evans became heavily involved in the development of the Godfather, finishing the deal with Puzo for the rights before the book came out. Once the book was released in 1969, it would become this massive success, staying on the New York Times bestseller list for over, I think, for 67 weeks. Wow! So they kind of like Paramount kind of lucked into like, hey, it's kind of a cool idea. Let's option it and see if there's potential with the movie. And then it becomes this massive success, like, oh, shit, we have this big book. We, have to, <laughs> we really have to uh, make this movie. Um, and when it came so big, it, they basically fast-tracked the movie. Bob Evans wanted a Italian or Italian-American to helm the movie. They first offered the movie to Sergio Leone, mm. but he declined it in order to make Once Upon a Time in America. They then apparently offered it to Peter Bogdanovich, who turned it down because he, didn't, he wasn't interested in the mafia. They then offered it to Peter Yates a Bullet, Richard Brooks of In Cold Blood, Franklin J. Schaffner of Patton, um, and Otto Preminger, whom all declined directing The Godfather. Peter Bart then suggested a young director by the name of Francis Ford Coppola. Coppola was of Italian descent and he would work on a very low budget and salary because his recent film, The Rain People, was a failure. (laughs) Coppola, however, turned down the movie because he found Puzo's novel to be sleazy and described it as pretty cheap stuff. But and this is something you might hear a lot with Coppola's stories <laughs> because he was in debt with his company American Zoetrope owing $400,000 to Warner Brothers for budget overruns of their film THX 1138 which was directed by George Lucas Coppola dec- decided mm-hmm. to take the project to kind of pay back to get money to pay back debts that he owed to Warner Brothers Coppola say decided to to the film would not be about organized crime but about a family chronicle a metaphor for capitalism in america uh fun fact when when coppola first came on paramount won the movie to be take to take place i think in present day in kansas city so they could kind of shoot it oh. on their back lot yeah and coppola's like we shouldn't do that and then when the book became even bigger they're like okay you win you can you can make it in 1940s and 50s new york or whatever so uh, coppola <laughs> and, then, and Puzo, then they
0: eventually made that sylvester stallone show
1: <laughs> is that in kansas oh, no it's in oklahoma uh, tulsa king
0: oh From tulsa king. king there we go no that tulsa was the king, last yeah. season of fargo that was the kansas city uh mafia that oh, okay. was
1: so coppola and Puzo would soon begin writing the script for the godfather uh the duo when they first started started to work on it separately Uh, with Puzo writing his version while living in Los Angeles and Coppola writing his version while living in San Francisco. They would stay in constant contact with one another, seeing notes back and forth, and making multiple drafts until a script was finished a year after they started. Now, I said many people have covered the production of The Godfather, most recently Paramount Plus, (laughs) did a version of their behind-the-scenes story of the movie based on the stories of Albert Ruddy, who's one of the film's original producers. So I won't spend too much time on this, but I want to kind of talk about the challenging production of this specifically with the players that are important for this movie so since coppola was not a big director he felt the studio was trying to get him fired constantly and would have constant issues with bob evans and other studio executives during the production of the godfather coppola had heard that evans was going to possibly bring uh kazan Hmm. in to finish the movie whenever they fired coppola Uh, However, when Coppola, I think, won the Oscar for Patton, they realized we can't fire him. Uh, (laughs) Marlon Brando's star or Marlon Brando, the film star, he threatened to quit if they ever fired Coppola. So the studio executives like they weren't going to fire him, but they were going to possibly fire someone else at a certain point. The studio executives were also not fans of the casting of one of the film's main characters, and that's Michael Corleone. The studio wanted Warren Beatty. Or Robert Redford Uh, to play Michael Corleone. Yeah uh bob evans big fan he wanted to get ryan O'Neal because ryan O'Neal was hot with <laughs> love story to play Mark yeah, Corleone. Yeah, there you go uh coppola however won a young new york actor by the name of al pacino and pacino had only been in one le- had only had a lead role in one movie at this time *Panic and needle park um and paramount like there's like he's not been enough he's also too short to play this part <laughs> so they made coppola uh, audition other actors besides pacino so they auditioned the likes of Dustin Hoffman, Martin Sheen, Dean Stockwell, and James Kahn. The role was offered to Burt Reynolds, apparently, but Brando threatened to quit if Reynolds was hired because the two, I don't know if you noticed, Thomas, had a kind of a rivalry because early on in in, in Reynolds' career, uh, people compared him to Brando. Mm. Like, they're like, oh, you could be Bra- you could be like Brando's like brother or son brando did not particularly like <laughs> this comparison uh and apparently they had a, a time where reynolds met brando he's like why are you still in my look he's like i'm not stealing my look why are you still in mine and they yeah so reynolds i was like i don't want to work with him and he didn't take, take the movie uh i then offered it to jack nicholson who turned it down feeling that italian american should play the role yeah you um, think so? so finally yeah finally they decided on one of the actors they had auditioned to play Marco Corleone, and that would be James Kahn. <laughs> Coppola, however, was still pushing for Pacino even after Kahn's casting, and Bob Evans finally allowed Coppola to cast Pacino, and Kahn would move over to playing Sonny Corleone, the kind of hot-headed brother of the family. But during production, Pacino was almost fired because the studio was not happy with his performance, and now kind of the, the, the famous story uh that kind of changed everything was when they saw the dailies of the big scene when Michael kills the corrupt police captain and drug kingpin um in kind of the restaurant when that's kind of the moment when Michael really turns on and kind of commits to the lifestyle that's the moment it gave the studio confidence that Pacino could play the role of Michael mm-hmm. Leon and that's kind of where Al Pacino was born So after all the trials and tribulations of the Godfather, it would be released in March 1972 to immediate critical and box office success. It would become the highest grossing film of 1972, eventually earning $81.5 million at the domestic box office, which is about $600 million in terms of $2024. With the worldwide grosses and later re-releases, the movie had made close to $300 million worldwide. And as of now, it's the 26th highest grossing movie of all time, adjusted for inflation stuck right in between avatar and forrest <laughs> gump the film would also receive 11 oscar nominations but only win three one for best picture one for best Adapted screenplay for uh for Puzo and coppola's work and one for marlon brando's performance which he infamously declined and did not show up for with all this success the film that cost paramount so much trouble seemed like a cash cow now and what do studios do when they have a movie that's cash cow? They want to make another. <laughs> as one person said at Paramount, when you have the recipe for Coca-Cola, you make Coca-Cola. <laughs> that was their motto. But as Paramount pushed a sequel forward, they knew they had to get the band back together, and the leader of that band was Francis Ford Coppola. But Coppola had zero interest in tackling a sequel to The Godfather. However, when even when Coppola had zero interest, they still pushed forward, offering Puzo $150,000 to write a script, called don michael the death of michael corleone or possibly the son of don corleone bob evans would publicly say that coppola was involved in the sequel which coppola was surprised by because he had never agreed to do that at that time uh coppola was more interested in making his new movie the conversation which we have talked about previously Mm -hmm. on the show several years ago as well uh coppola however he's like they're gonna make it let me just let me get one of my buddies to do it guys I have someone for you. They're like, okay, who is it here? It's this young guy from New York. His name is Martin Scorsese. They're like, we don't want him. He doesn't
0: sound like he can make a mafia movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Peter Bart of Paramount said, no, like you were the star of Godfather Francis. Give me your terms. What do you want? So Coppola went to the table and probably the first time in his career, maybe one of the biggest, only time in his career, really, he had full control over what he wanted wanted in the movie. He went to the table, created a list of demands, and I've heard kind of various reports of what these demands were, but here are a few I've heard, or here are a few that i heard several times that aren't always confirmed, but I heard he asked to be allowed to direct a production of the San Francisco Opera before he came into Godfire Part II, uh, and he also asked to write the screenplay for Great Gatsby before he directed Mm, the sequel mm -hmm. as well. Um, But the three things I've heard every time were that he, to be allowed to make the conversation first, nor he does a sequel uh that bob evans would not be allowed to work on the film at all and that coppola would produce it and the movie called the godfather part two and nothing else he also asked for a million dollars which was something kind of unheard of for a director at that time um you know what paramount was cool with all of them except one demand oh no can you guess which one they were like the robert evans one no the title of the movie oh no part two they go Godfather Part Two. Audience are going to just think we're releasing the second half of the Godfather.
0: He's like, it is, it is the second half.
1: Yeah, he's like, no, he's like, I, I, I want to do that. No one ever done it really in America at this point. Uh, Coppola wanted to be like, he said, I want to be able to like edit them together, uh, at a later date if I needed to. Spoiler alert, he did in nineteen seventy seven with the the Godfather saga. He was like, I want to kind of be able to inter inter intercut them together if I ever want to. And they're like, OK, we'll do it. We don't know how it's going to go. But recently, after all this, like it kind of establishing the numbered sequel in Hollywood, Coppola has recently said if he had known or if he had a chance to change the title now, he would because he didn't know how to become so dominated by numbered sequels. And he feels like he's somewhat responsible for that. I think it have happened either way, <laughs> it was bound. It was bound to. Um, I think with maybe the mix of *Godfather* Part Two and *Empire Strikes Back* six years later, that kind of like sequels are where we're at.
0: Yeah, but that, that one doesn't have a number in it. It's just *Empire Strikes no. Me.
1: but yeah, he was just like, yeah, I wish now I wouldn't done the two thing because that kind of like, the whole trend of twos. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Coppola would soon join Puzo and writing the script. And it seems they kind of continue the same system they had for the first movie.
0: I just gotta, I, I just gotta say, as one of the sole people who rides for the Coppola uh, Great Gatsby movie, I'm very glad that uh,
1: <laughs> he did that. I'm first. Very glad
0: that he worked that that out.
1: And who di- who directed? It was Redford, right? That directed it. No, no, it no, no. Who directed it?
0: I don't, I don't even remember. I just always Red, call it. I Red, call it Redford,
1: the, Re- yeah, Redford's in it. I just always him.
0: call it the Francis Ford Coppola.
1: Jack Clayton. Jack Clayton. That's an odd choice. He did The Innocents, which I really like. This. Uh, uh british horror movie from 1960s uh he also did something wicked this way comes hmm. now a lot of movies for jack clayton
0: yeah i like that gatsby sam waterston great choice bruce stern yeah solid gatsby movie yeah. oh, scott wilson i've never seen this actually the great the the redford great gatsby
1: i haven't seen the redford great yeah, gatsby scott one.
0: wilson's awesome in it
1: no no we we had to watch the uh the paul rudd great gatsby uh, See, That's i've never seen
0: one. that one i've we, we never seen that one yeah
1: yeah, that's when we had to watch Paul Rudd, Greg Aspie in class, uh, where, again, just the horrible girl, lady getting run over by the car. It just, it's, it's wild. That's
0: Karen Black in this one. Karen Black gets hit yeah.
1: by Okay. Okay. That, that, that role makes sense for Karen Black, honestly. <laughs> that's, that's, that makes sense for her. So uh, before, basically, when, they, when Coppola came on to the movie, he's like, hey, I have this idea that i have been kind of toying with for another film. And he said, I have always this idea to juxtapose the ascension of the family or basically said, I had this idea to juxtapose the Ascension of the family under Vito Corleone and the decline of the family under his son, Michael. He said, I always wanted to write a screenplay that told the story of a father and son at the same age. They were both in their 30s, and I would integrate the two stories. In order to not merely make Godfather one over again, I gave Godfather to the devil structure by extending the story in both the past and the present. Mm-hmm. But Coppola would have to go off and make the conversation. So he wrote a list of ideas for Puzo to explore. Some, some of these kind of decisions would make Michael less cold is what it was, was that instead of having uh, someone else kill Fredo, he would kill Fredo himself. Um, but that leads to the one idea that Puzo and Coppola could not agree on, and that's Fredo's death. Coppola wanted it, and Mario did not want it. But Coppola felt Fredo's death would be Michael's ultimate sin, mm-hmm. showing how far the family had spiraled because of his decisions. Puzo agreed, but only under the stipulation that Michael didn't do it until their mother died. Puzo felt that if Michael killed Fredo before their mother died, the audience would never be able to forgive Michael for the decision. One story idea that neither Coppola nor Puzo pitched the movie was uh, Kay's abortion diane keaton's character's abortion hmm. um that came from talia shire who hmm. suggested that Kay get an abortion instead of suffering a miscarriage as a thank you coppola wrote the scene scene for talia where her character connie begs michael to see fredo at their mother's funeral so that's hmm. kind of like a, hey thanks for bringing this scene to me because coppola was very like hesitant and, like abortion's kind of a hot topic i don't know if i want to put this in the movie but she's like no people do it you should probably like Reference that this is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, also, one key location that played a part in the script was Lake Tahoe. At some point in the script's early stages, Coppola was traveling around the country when he wound up in Lake Tahoe and found this massive estate built by Henry Keis- Kaiser. Kaiser, uh, Kaiser originally helped build ships and construction projects. His most famous being the Hoover Dam, but he also was involved in the healthcare world, creating uh, Kaiser Permanente. So what it's called. I think it's what it's. Oh, it was over near in Culver City uh, area. Uh, Kaiser had built this 15 acre lakefront estate in 1935, hiring a crew of 300 people to complete the state in only a month. So they built that entire thing mm-hmm. in just less than a month in the 1930s. Uh, Coppola felt that maybe the Corleones have left New York to get involved in the gambling world due to the rise of casinos in Las Vegas. Coppola said it translated the compound they had in Staten Island in the first movie into a totally new world. As the script was being written, Coppola began casting for the film. And the first step was getting Al Pacino back on board because <laughs> the actor who the studio originally did not want was now the only actor they can't recast. Mm-hmm. So Pacino, who was only paid $25,000 the first film, was able to negotiate for a pay raise, and that would be five hundred thousand dollars, which the studio agreed. However, one actor was not able to win his negotiations with the studio, and that was Richard Richard Castanallo, who played Peter uh, Clemenza in the first film, mm-hmm. who's the like, who's most famously t- uh, ad libbed the line "Leave the gun, take the cannoli." He was kind of one Don Vito's main lieutenants. Uh, And his character does appear in the film, but it's a younger version played by Bruno Kirby. And the reason why Castanello is not in the movie, uh, the two reasons why, uh, or two versions of the story is one, he he allegedly wanted a friend to write his dialogue for him in the script and not Coppola and Puzo. Uh, Another report says he did not want to gain the weight that was required for the role after having losing a lot of weight after the first film. Uh, Originally, he was to be the character that testified at the hearings uh, oh, okay. against the family, but because they were, they were now writing him out. And so Coppola and Puzo created the character of Frank Pentageli, I apologize, if i put butchered that name, to kind of replace him. And the role of Frank would go to Michael V. Gazzo, who allegedly was hired a day before filming. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, fun fact about Gazzo, uh, besides acting, he was also a screenwriter, and he co-wrote the script to Elvis Presley's best movie, King Creole, in 1960. Hmm. So there you go uh, for other roles Coppola allegedly offered a role in the movie to James Cagney but Cagney turned it down because he was retired at the time for that for like a 20-year period uh, it's possible the role was as for Hyman Roth maybe I'm not exactly sure it's I've also heard that Coppola was looking at casting Aaliyah Kazan for the role of uh, Hyman Roth yeah, the guy who was, gonna, who was going to replace Coppola in the first movie but Pacino however was pushing Coppola to cast Pacino's former acting teacher the famous Lee Strasberg
0: yeah it's like uh, yeah you know I might go with Elliot Kazan in this role it's like okay well what if we get the other most famous acting teacher in the history of American (laughs) acting instead
1: yeah and 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 Strasberg who was retired as well he came out of retirement to do this movie uh and I know Pacino talked about like it was like so like wonderful to kind of work with his teacher uh I think inside the actor studio he joked that like oh yeah everything he taught us like key to the exact opposite (laughs) he was like he always told us to learn, learn 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 our lines before we got on set and he was like did he he's like no he never did but yeah so he became the character of roth and also the problem was with strasberg is that he was actually ill at the time of the movie and they actually made that part of roth's character um hmm. uh, returning for the film were robert duvall as tom hagan diane keaton as Kay corleone john Cazale, joe Spinell uh as willie one of his like kind of lieutenants uh and Mor- morgana king as carmela corleone uh uh Don Vito's widow uh, James kind also returned as Sonny Cor- Corleone which we'll talk about later because mm-hmm. there's more stories of that um, but the most important role that needed to be cast was the young Don Vito Corleone the sections of the young Vito in the movie were actually the only part of the movie based on Puzo's original novel there's actually a section about when Vito came to America from Italy like, like one chapter and that became kind of the basis for this section originally coppola thought about casting brando he thought we could if brando could maybe lose a little weight <laughs> we can make him appear younger because he thought brando was the greatest actor to ever live and, and coppola he play, would do anything
0: would gamble on uh, brando losing a little bit of weight <laughs> later on in, uh, a uh, few years <laughs> later and that didn't
1: work out with the pockets now um so he just said you know what let's not do that he didn't offer it to brando and he was like hey but there was this young this one guy who auditioned for me for the first godfather and he was pretty good and he just saw him in martin scorsese's mean streets and that was robert de niro so he would cast de niro for the role of, of young don vito corleone and you know when de niro landed the role de niro did what young de niro did what always did and that was prep like a madman hmm.
0: yeah it was i i'd always heard that de niro was like in pretty serious consideration for Sonny. Uh, did he, he like just did he like just read it was, for it or
1: he, he 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 was he was in consideration for Sonny. Um, I think he might have auditioned for Michael as well. And they even considered casting him in a different role. Uh, yeah, he was originally given the part of Polly Gatto. But a spot in the movie, The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight, opened up after Pacino quit the project in favor of The Godfather, which led to De Niro to get cast in this random movie that I've never heard of. <laughs> um, so basically... De Niro was going to be cast as Sonny is what it was at one point. Um, but when he quit that, everything kind of changed. So basically if this movie called the Gang that, that couldn't shoot straight, didn't happen, De Niro would have been probably in a smaller role in the Godfather and not would be able to play and not be able to play uh, Vito in this movie, yeah. a whole bunch of moves. So Coppola's like, let me go back to him. He offers De Niro that role. De Niro starts prepping like a madman and allegedly he screened the first Godfather over 50 times to adopt the nuances of Brando's character. He also went to the same dentist that Brando used uh, for the mouthpiece that Brando had in the first Mm -hmm. movie to kind of get the jaws, the jawline of Don Vito, but he got a smaller one was the idea. to where it wouldn't be as pronounced. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if that wasn't enough, de niro packed his bags and traveled to sicily where he lived for a few months to study the dialect of the area of course he did i heard like four months he spent trying to get the dialect i don't know if he lived there for four months but he at least worked on the accent for four months uh and with a cast in place and locations picked and a script ready well actually no, they weren't ready because pacino didn't like the script (laughs) and he tells coppola hey i'm gonna quit the film if you don't rewrite the script and now we're deep in pre-production about to be in production And Coppola starts to freak out. So he flies Pacino out to San Francisco to discuss the script with him. Coppola furiously rewrites the script over a night. And the next day, Pacino reads it and approves it. And so production was back on. Years later, Coppola said, said, Al sort of forced me to really tune it up. And years later, I said to him, gee, Al, were you really not going to make the movie? And he said, no, I was just trying to get you to rewrite the script to make it better. (laughs) And with that, that leads us to favorite scenes. So Thomas, what's one of your favorite scenes in The Godfather Part 2? Uh
0: like you said there's not there's not as many it's, as as it's I, I would do here as if yeah. we were doing Godfather Part 1, but that's not it yeah. just doesn't kind of function that way. Um but I mean I think I think one of the things that really blew me away watching it kind of critically this time is like the lead up to the intermission. Um like yeah. the the end of it, it, you know there there is your your kind of three act structure here but there's also this kind of two part it, it it's really well structured for this this two parts and that when you go to the intermission yeah. michael and vito have both accomplished their goals and yep. like everything seems to be going well for him like you could you could yeah. walk away at intermission which is which is you know kind of the structure of a tragedy as as you yeah. and I have learned in in a lot of story structure classes is you know uh, a lot of times for a comedy you've got this midway point of like oh my gosh I've lost everything in order to get to a happy ending where you gain it all back for a tragedy. There, there has to be this moment of like, I've, I've done it all. I've got everything going for me. Romeo and Juliet are together and they're happy and and everything's going to work out.
1: Make Beth is King. We're
0: good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but here we've got the kind of the Cuba new years, which is my favorite. That that is the one thing in this movie where I'm like, if I'm flipping channels and this is all, and I want to see like new years in Cuba. Um, And, and, you know, obviously, the the best line from this one there's so many great lines from the first one but this one has a couple that 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 i think really rival the first one and and of course the yeah. you broke my heart fredo yeah i know it was you i know it was you it's so good the 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 Judas. you know there's the catholicism is is yeah. seeping throughout these movies just constantly and the 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 judas the uh kissing jesus in the garden betrayal moment is mm-hmm. is uh Mixed with, you know, it's New Year's, kiss somebody. And then it's like, I, I know it was you, Fredo. And then, you know, the it's just such a wild scene to have this like personal you've got Mm. this like family drama playing out over this mafia drama playing out over Mm. an entire country's rebellion happening all at the same time and it and it's all coming to a head and and they're at the party and you know the he gets up and resigns in front of everyone at this party (laughs) they're like all right get out of this country if you can it's (laughs) it's done and yeah. uh, you've got the great moment out in the street where Michael is. Just, I mean, he's just terrified. Is, You're my is, brother, Fredo. That is when he becomes terrifying. You know, we we see him yeah. through Fredo's eyes. He's Michael standing there with the car. And he's like, this is the only way out of the country. You're still my brother. Come with me. And it's like, I will die if I get in that car right now. Like, I yeah, will not yeah. make it out of this country. I would yeah. rather be trapped rather. here with the, <laughs> with yeah. the uh, rebellion happening than, than be in that car with my brother.
1: Yeah. No and so yeah John Cazale is amazing in this movie I mean it's going to be difficult later on Because the supporting cast in this movie is just Phenomenal mm-hmm. like everyone Is is amazing in this film um, Kind of before all that again I, I love The sequence early on When uh, It's the attempted assassination On mm-hmm. Michael where You have this great moment you have this This family moment you feel like because beforehand they're at the they're at the part the birthday party of the son. It's Christmas time, and Kay's like, "Hey, you told me five years ago we were gonna you're gonna make or you're you told me you told me when you first got this in five years you're gonna make it legitimate." Mm-hmm. That was seven years ago, and he's like, "I know, I'm trying, I'm trying." Like they're like they're they're still a family at this moment, but they're they're you can tell her the, the, the sh- like the threads are starting to break, mm-hmm. and. You have the moment when he goes into his when his bedroom and he has the 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 picture of of the his son drew for him. And it's actually a picture that Coppola's real son, uh, Gio, drew and he put it in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's looking at it and he's talking to Kay, and it's that great moment when Kay's like, "Why are the drapes opened?" And that kind of gives Pacino the pause or, or Michael the pause to actually react when the gunshots gunshots start going off. Like he's almost like, Oh yeah, that is odd. And then is able to quickly react when he starts hearing the gunshots. Uh, and it's just a great moment. And that leads to the question, which I know, I know what it is, but like, cause Fredo's like, Oh, I didn't know it was going to be a hit. Mm-hmm. But as someone said, like, well, someone had to open the drapes. So whoever opened the drapes was the person who betrayed them. So it had to be Fredo. So Fredo knew it was going to be a hit. Uh, on his brother. Mm. Cuz he had to have done that. He, he um, you know,
0: he's not the smartest.
1: No. <laughs> but I love but I love the scene between him between De Niro or Pacino and Tom Hagen. duvall yeah, I'm a big Tom Hagen like, guy. Tom, yeah. That yeah, Tom Hagen duvall is like he's not he's not in this one as much as he is in the first one, mm-hmm. but he has so many good scenes with Pacino. Like cuz that's the whole dynamic. That's why it's like with Godfather part 3 where it's like you really need Tom Hagen there because it's kind of, the whole idea is like you're watching kind of this like other kind of brotherhood mm-hmm. fall apart.
0: Yeah, yeah, right yeah. And Tom is, I mean Tom is really all that's left to Michael of his father as well. Like yeah. Tom Tom yeah. was you know uh Tom was his father's confidant. He he has kind of his father's brain. He was brought up by he, he's the only part left of his father's legacy that you know was yeah. intended to be part of this. You know, it's like yeah. Sonny was raised to be the god, the next Godfather, and Tom was going to be his right hand man. And 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 Tom is the only part of the machine, part of the planning that Vito left that has actually like fallen Hang into out. place.
1: Yeah, and like and like you know, like Don, like Vito would have made Tom the guy, but Tom is not his son mm. like he's not he's not sicilian basically he's italian uh, He
0: can't or he's 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 I- half irish he's irish we'd, we'd yeah, see that uh we'd see that later on with goodfellas
1: goodfellas um uh, but he can't he's the Irishman. he can't be he can't be the don but it's that great moment when like it's actually Pacino's what is it like, from the
0: first one? i'm not gonna repeat the line but he's half half german half irish yeah <laughs> something like that. Yeah.
1: but uh but like pacino it's a, again it's a very intimate scene it's also kind of setting up Kind of the 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 uh subdued the subdued nature of Pacino's performance in a way. It's the kind of the the kind of interior performance of Pacino. I mm-hmm. actually, where it's just like, hey Tom, like I like, I you know, I know you're upset that I don't tell you everything, but the reason why I haven't told you anything is kind of for this moment. Like this is the moment now that I know I can trust you. Like if I think what's happened has happened, like. Th- things are things are already in motion he's like we're Mm -hmm. gonna catch these guys. he goes if i know if what i think is true those guys are dead already Mm -hmm. because someone messed up and they know it and they have to get rid of the evidence he's like i'm gonna have to go away and you're gonna be the don you're gonna control everything until i come back and he's like it's kind of this like whoa and don and don and, and and tom's not like oh thanks for the position it's like I've always wanted you to respect me. And like, it's good to know that you have, like, I've always wanted you to say, I'm a brother to you because that's what I've always wanted. And it's such a great kind of, uh, kind of opposite scene of what happens later when Tom comes back at the end. And when Michael's like, I want to kill uh, Hyman Roth and Tom's like, we can't, that's impossible. And he's just like, nothing's impossible. If there's anything mm-hmm. I learned from my father is that uh, killing anyone is possible. And, t- and, that's, and it's like this kind of threat of, like, or also like he when he walks in, it's like, I, know, so I thought you were going to be bad news. What do you mean? He's like, I thought you were going to tell me you and your wife were, and kids were moving to Vegas. Mm-hmm. And, go, and I turned them go, down. Go, I don't
0: have to, I have to tell you every I offer you I turned
1: down. It's, God, they're so good together. And then he kind of has that threat of just like, if you don't want to be here, take your wife and your kids and your mistress and go but go to vegas mm-hmm. and that's a that's that that line is left over from a deleted sequence of the movie that basically tom has been having an affair with sonny's wife in the first movie oh. and that and that's his mistress so he basically taken taking up sonny's, sonny's wife as his mistress um and that was kind of kind of michael's threat to tell his parent his wife that he's having this affair um but yeah, all that stuff is phenomenal. Uh and then let's talk about De Niro here. Mm-hmm. Cause De Niro I mean, let's just compare him in Main Streets to him in this. Just completely opposite sides of the coins. Yeah. Coin, yeah, basically. Yeah.
0: This is one of those insane performances that that you shouldn't, you know, and, and it's become
1: attempt to do. Attempt yeah, yeah, to yeah. do. It's
0: become a little <laughs> bit more commonplace now that we're doing all these like crazy true story you know i just i just watched that um sam rockwell do his like iconic roles interview and he was talking about doing um uh vice and having to like study george w bush and you know that that i feel like that happens a lot more now uh with these biopics it's like you want them to be as close as possible it used to be it was just kind of like yeah do whatever you want with this biopic (laughs) like just kind of give your performance um but yeah, it's it's you. you as, as an actor, you never want somebody to like give you another actor's performance and be like, "Give me this." Like, yeah. But it is this. It it is a kind of a one that you can look back now and be like, he is he is being his. He's giving his own performance. It's never an impression of yeah. Marlon Brando, but it's there. It's always there. In the in the way he talks and his mannerisms, and he he does create kind of. It 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 is it is really it's a really incredible performance in that how he mm-hmm. he fully creates this character as a young man, but it is yeah. also it is Vito Corleone. It's it's always there.
1: Yeah, I mean you, you get the kind of like the lines of like i make make an offer you can't refuse" is mm-hmm. what he says to someone, but like also it's again it's the it's the tragic story of Vito mm-hmm. is that he he leaves Italy alone, mm-hmm. all of his family is
0: killed, and and family you know for at least until until the end of his story i mean that's the whole thing with you know having after he's killed uh don ciccio and he's got the michael in the window of the train as he's leaving at the at the end of Vito's story in the second one family is the most important thing to him and it gives us that's that's you know this, this is why this is such a good sequel it, you could turn around and immediately watch part one and be yeah. like oh my gosh it really is like no he yeah. he yes his 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 mind has gotten pulled other places by how big his network has become but it is in the first movie its family is still what is most important to him you know you've got the sunny scene look how they massacred my boy um
1: my boy
0: uh but it 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 does it makes you go back and it makes it adds layers to brando's performance it it adds layers to brando's character and being like this he, at some point when he got into this, he thought it was for the betterment of his family, period. Yeah. And, and it obviously is not anymore. And he ended up, you yeah. know, reaping what he sowed by the end of it.
1: I mean, you have to think is that, again, he dies in the first one playing with his grandson, mm-hmm. has a heart attack playing with his grandson in the, in the orange grove or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always the key. And and that's kind of, the, the again, the opposite of Michael is that Michael is talking about the, the rise and fall is that it's it's the rise of the Corleone family with with De Niro and it's the fall of Michael where where it's like again at one point in the first in the in the uh, flashbacks where De Niro's like he's doing this to other Italians talking about the Don uh, Finucci the local kind of black hand extortionist basically where he's mm-hmm. just like he's just other Italians like how can you do this to your own people like and so he kills him kind of for that to yeah. kind of take over yeah, you
0: should be you should be
1: protecting
0: in, we're, we're family you here. should be here for the betterment of the neighborhood like this is a neighborhood yeah. full of our people we are here struggling you should not be stealing from them you should be stealing for them yeah. like he, he's, he sees himself as this robin hood type um mm-hmm. that, that as he's becoming the godfather which is why you know why he is the godfather he is yeah. At some point, he was somebody that people looked upon warmly as 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 a as a extended family member who could help them out when they were in trouble. Yeah.
1: Well, there was a there was apparently a scene. I I, I can't remember which part, but like uh, an extra comes up to De Niro and, and like when they're on the streets or whatever and starts talking to Vito. And apparently the extra had ad-libbed the lines or whatever and wasn't supposed to say anything to Vito. And Coppola was apparently pissed. And De Niro's like, no, 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 no. let's keep it in. Because, like, that kind of shows, like, the neighborhood, like, loves Mm -hmm. Vito. They just feel comfortable to walk up to him and say, hey, I need this. Or, hey, how's it going? Um, But, yeah. uh, But with Michael, going back to Michael real quick on Pacino, a phenomenal scene is between John Cazale as Fredo and Michael in the the boat or in the... uh, the kind of living room over the lake when 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 Fredo's in the like weird chair that just keeps like <laughs> just bringing keeps him down. Sl- I'm, I'm, I'm smart.
0: I'm smart. I'm not dumb like they say.
1: Yeah, and, and that's the whole movie is they're just like Fredo's weak. My kid like, brother. He's sweet. He's sweet, but he's weak. He has a heart, but he's weak. Yep. That's the whole thing. And because I'm, but yeah, and then and then when Michael's just like, I never want to see you again you're dead to me basically If you come
0: to visit our mother you will tell me 24 hours ahead of time
1: so i will not be there i don't want to see you i want to hear you uh gosh so good so good it's Um, it's
0: you know there's this continuous theme of like i said with with don vito it's how important family is and then for for michael and fredo it is it is the burden of family. It's the burden of legacy of, of, yeah. of expectation. You know, the the Fredo's whole justification is like, you are not, you are my younger brother. You're, you're not supposed to be above elevated above. Yeah. me. You're not supposed to be smarter yeah. than me. You're not supposed to be more powerful than me. And that drove me to almost have you killed because I just wanted yeah. to be better than you in some way.
1: Yeah. And also with that, like, I love the reveal when he's, Oh, like, he, like, he never met Roth's, henchman or whatever johnny ola mm-hmm. and he's like oh yeah i showed you and then later yeah. on he's like, i showed you all this place and pacino's face is just like this mother <laughs> yeah <laughs> like it never like, never
0: would have you know it's it's that thing that is that is the importance of family or it was yeah. up until that moment that was the importance of family to michael is that you know, this whole time he's like there's there's somebody within the organization is betraying me but like he never would have thought it was fredo for a second until that happens
1: but it's the, it's the idea of the line he goes like i learned from my father like uh, keep your friends close and your enemies closer mm-hmm. like he, but he didn't expect that his own enemy his greatest enemy would be his brother that he's cared for this entire time but yeah the next scene i love going with pacino well, also again with his family like, it's a family built on revenge to go with this scene it's like again you have the 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 heartbreaking uh fredo being killed on the boat mm-hmm. uh as he's saying the hell marries yep uh but then you also have the the the, the idea of a family built on revenge with Vito when he goes back to Italy. Great scene mm-hmm. when he's just like when he's talking to the old man who killed his father, killed his mother in front of him. He's now this old talk about the the depress- depressive nature of Italian mafia movies. And in a way, The Irishman with Scorsese is like he's now this old man by himself on this like like
0: kind of crumbling estate,
1: crumbling estate. It's, you're like it's like every it's no it's nowhere near as warm as it was before. And he's just like, I can't hear you. Can you come close? He's like, I'm the son of this. Antonio Andolini. And yeah, Antonio Andolini. And this is for you. And then just stab, like just guts him basically. Mm-hmm. And you're like, and he's saying like that this is this old man's last moment. And De Niro, and it's it's the whole like the whole idea is Corleone's built. The family of Corleone is built on this re, almost revenge plot to let me get big enough to go back to Sicily and kill the man that killed my family. And that's where we're going to start anew. Once that that book that book is closed, then the real Corleone family can start, mm-hmm. and it's all coinciding with the like as, as the cutting of it with Kazel being with Fredo being killed, with uh with Frank killing himself with the suicide after Tom that great moment when Tom was just like, hey, remember in the old days? Like, yeah, you remember what happened it, in if, the
0: Roman Empire?
1: Yeah, it's like if the people who betrayed the the the, the, the emperor like. If they were found and killed, like everything from their family was taken. But if they kill themselves, the family was protected and got what they needed. And then it's just, yeah, so good. I'll um, see what else to have. Want um, talk,
0: to talk Michael and Kay?
1: Yep, that was my next It was thing. an abortion, Michael,
0: just like yeah. our marriage. I, something that struck me watching this movie this time around is something that is fascinating to me about the Godfather movies is these are two of the most famous movies of all time. Uh-huh. and two of the lead actors in it and both very famous actors and this is so against type for both of them like their yeah. their careers did not like Pacino you know as as important as the Godfather movies are you know Pacino became Tony Montana as his career went on you know at a certain point yeah i've yeah. always said Godfather part 1 it feels like Pacino playing Dustin Hoffman like the the, the like kind of like quiet kind of yeah. intro introvert like soft-spoken um and and you know diane keaton became annie hall um yeah <laughs> and it's so, yeah. it's so it's so it's so, so wild a, to
1: come a comedic actress yeah Quir- quirky comedic character yeah
0: she's she's la-di-da la-di-da and then you go back yeah. and you're watching this scene and he i mean he he, he does explode in this but he's so quiet he and menacing for yeah. for so much of it and it is it is i mean obviously i'm not saying they're both neither of them are one note actors but yeah. but they both have kind of become known for a type of character in their career and it's it's not k or michael which is wild yeah. because these are probably two of their most famous movies they've ever been
1: yeah and i i still like, this is this is his greatest performance mm-hmm. like by far yeah he's like men and women for years like, have have done this or whatever but i love the cut back out to the 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 hallway when it's showing the kids kind of playing and that's when you're hearing the argument build you're hearing them get angry at one another Mm -hmm. and that's the like and he and he's he's building to explode Mm -hmm. and he does and that's the the opposite say sometimes now with 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 later pacino performances that he's always at that high intense level that you can't build that like that pure explosion you can't see that rage build mm-hmm. and here you do and it's and it's um it's incredible to watch and that's
0: um, that's why i think if we can hop to another and that's why i think the flashback is so important in this movie because uh-huh. if you're not yeah, and especially you know yeah. when when this came out you didn't have home video you weren't watching yeah. part one uh, you know right away but you and you need that you, it's so tragic but you need that moment to be like oh yeah this was what Michael was like yeah when we were introduced to him it has been such an insane journey for him and Pacino plays it so well that that you you need that reminder of like oh he was just this like this good optimistic kid who thought he was gonna like do good things in the world and it yep. is gone that Michael is yep. completely gone now
1: hmm and, and, and it's it's the, it's the like go. Oh, i've he's like well, why don't you quit college and join the army i did uh, i did i joined the marines and then it's like yeah it's it's he like you said he, it's this god and country type idea mm-hmm. like i'm gonna he's like we had so much we have plans for you you're supposed to go to college you're supposed to get out of this world like now you're just gonna go be a soldier we don't want you to be a soldier
0: and he's so you know it, and it just makes you think back to when he brought Kay to the wedding in the first one and how like ashamed he was yeah. of that side of of yeah. him, you know at that point and now it has completely eroded everything in his life to the point where he has had his brother murdered
1: yeah has brother mur- murdered his mom is gone he is he has created uh a division between him and his like basically half brother with tom yeah and connie's i mean uh, we
0: don't we don't really see in this one we don't really see the fallout with connie but i mean the last thing we see is connie begging for mercy for fredo so it's like obviously yeah. connie's not going to be okay with with no. this happening when she figures it out
1: and and then you and then he's lost his wife in the process again the great moment it's like when connie's like hey Kay, you have to leave you have to leave because they know michael's gonna show up and when mm-hmm. michael shows up uh, like in the like tan jacket and walking mm-hmm. slowly walking towards and they have i uh, make a uh, lock eyes and it's just just like slow close the door get on k yep. it's how it's how the first movie ends and, and he's like, terrifying
0: when he's in the doorway, everyone is terrified when we're terrified. Yep. And that is not an energy that Vito ever brought to, you nope. know, he, he, yes, he was imposing. Yes. He was intimidating, but he was never, you know, terrifying. It, it, yeah. And, and so it, it this, this legacy that Michael's trying to live up to has been corrupted. It's, it, it has corrupted him and it is it, his memory of his father has, has been corrupted.
1: Yeah. Last thing we didn't talk about that I want to bring up Vito killing the Don uh, mm-hmm. with 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 the wrapped up handgun, yep. which I think I think what that was uh, De Niro's idea was to wrap it up, mm. uh, which creates that great image of like when it's on fire after he shot him. Um, but yeah, it, I, I was reading how like the killing the killing of Don Venicio is a reflection of the killing of Captain Mark McCluskey and Virgil, uh, Sallazo from the Godfather. And that both instance instances it's a handgun is used and the killings are killed out by father and son and minus Vito killing Don Francesco in Italy. They're the only two killings that we see them carry out mm-hmm. by Corleone by, by Vito and, and, and Michael. Um, but it's uh, both those moments are kind of the key to the, the rise of their characters in both, in both instances. um, but by the end, again with Fredo's killing, he 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 can't do it himself. He has someone else do it, and like like Coppola said, it's kind of the ultimate sin. It's it's the official downfall and breakup of the family. So onset life now. One major player I want to talk about here that was involved in the first Godfather, I think, also the third one as well, was the director of photography Gordon Willis. Mm -hmm. Gordon Willis was known in Hollywood at the time as the Prince of Darkness because of how he created dark and shadowy images. Willis is considered by many as one of the greatest cinematographers of all time and easily one of the best of his era. Now, Willis filmed the first Godfather, and he originally didn't want to come back for this movie. Uh, Apparently, Coppola and Willis argued on set a lot for the first film. Um, So Willis got a significant pay bump to return for this movie. Uh, It's reported he was paid more than many of the actors on set. (laughs) And this time, Coppola and him got along a lot more because there was not really any studio interference. They were able to kind of experiment more with one another uh, in terms of the visual style. The film would also be one of the last films to be shot in Technicolor until it was later kind of re brought up back in the '90s. But this is kind of the first major movie shot this last wow. major movie shot this way. Mm-hmm. Um also returning for the crew was Nino Rota and Carmine Coppola, Francis's father. Uh the duo would actually the, the film's iconic score uh for the movie. They did, I think Carmine did like additional music in the first one. I think now they are sharing credits. So, production for The Godfather would start on October 1st, 1973 in Lake Tahoe in Nevada. Uh it was apparently freezing in Lake Tahoe. Uh so everyone was having to wear th- thermals under their costumes. Uh and the, and the weather was making the set fairly bleak. It's been said that Coppola was having an affair at the time with an assistant on set. Uh, at one point, his parents confronted him about the affair and Coppola told them that he would carry on with anyone he wanted to carry on with. And the noise of this argument was apparently caught on the mics that Coppola used with Gordon Willis to communicate across the set. So everyone on set heard Coppola and his parents argue about his affair over the PA system <laughs> during production, in Lake Tahoe, several cast and crew members would spend time at a casino nearby. People said there are many stories in the town from the production about kind of characters showing up in full makeup and, and, and in wardrobe to play blackjack at the casino, uh, Al Pacino and Diane Keaton, who were dating at the time, uh, were seen several times at the casino and resort together. And unlike the first film's production where Pacino and Coppola kind of worked well together they would butt heads on part two pacino was growing tired of coppola's multiple setups during the movie apparent and how slow it was taking apparently when coppola was taking so long pacino would complain to people and say "Saint Lamette shot serpico in 18 days that was his that was his thing because it was taking so long don't Uh, start building
0: a cave with a box of scraps
1: that's pacino Uh, But it seems the production was affecting Pacino on both the physical and mental level. Pacino said playing the character drove him crazy. He said, it was doing this character, the loneliness of him. I couldn't be that guy and have a good time. I wanted to have stuff inside. We were working 20 weeks on that film. I was living with that weight all the time and it was suffocating. It was hurting. I'm most proud of Godfather 2 because that's the most difficult character I ever had to do. I had nowhere to go, nothing to grab, except to sustain it for three and a half hours. BJ Topol, who played Mary Corleone, the daughter of Michael and Kay in the movie, said Pacino and Keaton were so kind to her. Diane Keaton was so loving and warm. I remember Alice, my dad was super stressed because he was in character. Back then, I didn't really get it. He had that brooding look. Her mother, Jenny, said something similar, saying, I spent a lot of time with Diane Keaton. I felt like her older sister. I didn't spend any personal time with Al Pacino. He was a very intense character, very into his acting, and, you know, very dark, and that's the movie was. He didn't visit with people on set, but he was very kind to my daughter, and that's all that mattered. It seems this mix of physical exhaustion and mental fatigue of working constantly since the production of the first Godfather and the kind of toll this character was taking on him, Pacino developed pneumonia and was put in the hospital because of it while shooting the movie. Keeping him offset for several weeks. Wow. So if Pacino out, production designer Dean uh, Tavallaris and his team would have more time to work on the 1910s and 1920s New York set. For six months, they had been turning a corner of New York City into Little Italy for that era. Uh, this section was the part of the film Coppola was most excited about filming. Uh, it's, I think Pacino said that like this was the part that you could tell Francis thought was the most personal part of the story because it was about kind of. His uh, ancestors coming over to Italy as well. And that's what he was so tied to. Uh, but originally in these flashback scenes, when the car- the actors that were in the scenes wore pants, they wore them with zippers. And apparently one mu- one musician that was there pointed out that the zipper had not been invented yet. Mm-hmm. So they had to reshot several scenes with buttonfly trousers instead of zippers. Oh, no. For the Cuba scenes, the team was not allowed to go to Cuba, of course. Yes. So they actually filmed those scenes in the Dominican Republic. Okay. Uh, While there, the crew was hit with weather problems, causing a lot of issues with Gordon Willis. Uh, The scenes that, that the team thought would be the easiest to shoot were the Sicily scenes. They planned to shoot there for 11 days. Can you guess how long it allegedly took them?
0: Oh, God. 28 shoot days. No. More or less. More. Oh my god! <laughs> you telling me Francis Ford Coppola got stuck on location for much longer than he intended to be? They ant- that t- never t- happened.
1: Fifty days. Oh my! What? <laughs> <laughs> for the Sicily footage. <laughs> the Sicily footage. For the simple scene of Vito arriving at the train station, the crew would drive to the local each the location each day, only to find it overcast. Eventually, a local explained them that the proximity where they're at meant the weather wouldn't clear for weeks. So they had to wait. Uh, they also shot the scene when young Vito comes to America. They couldn't shoot it at Ellis Island. So they actually had to shoot in Italy for it. So for the final birthday scene for Don Vito, Coppola was able to get James Khan back to film the scenes. Khan said he would only do the movie if he was paid the same salary he made on The Godfather. So allegedly Khan made about that. Thou- oh, I'm sorry. Allegedly Khan made about a million dollars for a half day's worth of work. Wow. The plan was for Marlon Brando to be in the movie as Don Vito Corleone. But Brando was still having a dispute over his payment for The Godfather with Paramount. He was having issues with all of them at Paramount. Uh, Coppola said he was constantly negotiating with Brando, trying to get him to show up. He said, right up to the last day, I thought he was going to be in the last scene. But once it seemed Brando wasn't coming, Coppola had to write the final scene, I think, overnight. So that last scene is just a complete, like, let's rewrite it. Brando's not coming. And this, I want to ask this question. Is it better that Brando's not in it?
0: I think so. I think, I think, I think so too. Yeah. I think because we've got kind of this image of De Niro in our mind. Yeah. I think it would be if Brando was in it, then we'd be like comparing them a -hmm. little bit more. You couldn't help but be like, Oh, well, does he look like De Niro? Does De Niro look like him? I think it. You know, obviously you can do it now, like I said, with with DVD or streaming. But but back then, I think it was a good call to just let De Niro be the presence of Vito because the presence of Vito through those flashbacks, the presence of Vito is yeah. always there. It's always on Michael. I mean, that's the point of the flashbacks is is to kind of show the the weight, Uh, you know, without even, you know, Michael was present for all those things without even be, really being conscious of it. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think. You know, it's one of those things where they they probably could have done De Niro up in in like makeup and had him walk through the door or something like that too. But um, but yeah, I think it it's one of those happy accidents where I, the way it plays out is is the only way I would want it to happen.
1: Yeah, I think it's a better image of Michael being at the table by himself. Mm-hmm. It's 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 kind of it's it's foreshadowing what's to come for his for his life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Is that everyone's happy and he's he's depressed <laughs> at the at the end. And he hears his father in the background, always kind of in his father's shadow. Mm-hmm. I think it works better. And I think also because Brand- Brando's presence as well is so impactful and, imp- and and just powerful that if you put him right at the end, it almost feels like you're wasting him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it kind of like of could steal the movie or steal a good portion of the movie in the last minute. Like, Oh, shit. Why was he in this whole movie? Why don't we get Brando as young, young, young Brando? <laughs> um, but yeah. And so with all that, production would finally wrap on June 19th, 1974, eight months after production started. The film's original budget of $8 million had now ballooned to $12 million. I've also heard it ballooned to $13 million by the end of it. And with that, we go to aftermath because while production was over, Coppola now had to make two storylines and make them one story. And from the beginning, it was seen as an impossible task. One of the early cuts of The Godfather Part Two ran over five hours long. Oh, my God. After one of the early screens of the, of, the, of the film, friend George Lucas said, Francis, you have two movies. Throw one away. It doesn't work. Uh, Coppola and his editors would keep changing or keep, keep chipping away at the edit. Uh, the film would have test screenings, and they were not positive. People didn't like the back and forth between Michael and Vito. It was too long. There were too many cuts. Fred Ruse, one of the film's co-producers said, we did a lot of test screenings till we finally hit one screening. I remember it was in San Diego. We got the right balance and it finally worked, but it was touch and go. We had some bad screenings where the cutting back and forth between two stories bothered people, but we eventually found the right formula. Word had gotten out to the press about these editing sessions and how difficult it was cutting it together and journalists and critics were already calling Godfire part two a disaster before <laughs> anyone saw it. It reported that the editing with Coppola and his team continued until the day before the premiere with the editing team working 24 hours days in shifts, but they were not able to actually finish the edit with some of the final scenes, not perfected in time for the premiere of the movie. It would premiere on December 12th, 1974 in New York city the film would open at the same five theaters the first film originally opened at on, Dece- uh, on December 20th, 1974. And while ticket sales were doing incredibly well, the reviews were not. The reviews were very divisive, with some saying it was completely inferior to the original. While praising the style and performances, they hated the pace of the movie and the plot, and they hated the back and forth between the two timelines. Hmm. Rog- Roger Ebert gave the film three stars, saying the flashbacks... Give Coppola the greatest difficulty in maintaining his pace and narrative force. The story of Michael, told chronologically and without other material, would have had really substantial impact, but Coppola pre- prevents our complete involvement by breaking the tension, cutting back to Young Vito. Box office wise, the film would not eclipse the original. It would only be the seventh highest grossing film of the year, grossing $47.5 million, almost half as less as the first movie. However, all this kind of lesser than the first one would not stop the film from getting a lot of Oscar nominations. It'd be nominated again for 11 Oscars in a fairly stacked year. It eventually won six Oscars, more than the first one did. De Niro would win for best supporting actor in a category that was dominated by Godfather actors with Michael Vigazzo and Lee Strasberg, both being nominated for best supporting actor nominations. Uh, the Coppola clan was doing, doing well, very well at night. Talia Shire was also nominated for an Oscar for a performance while Coppola's dad, Carmine, won an Oscar for best score with Nino Rota. When Coppola won one of the Oscars, he thanked, them, thanked the Academy for giving his dad an Oscar, um, which is a big deal because actually the first Godfather was disqualified from the score category because Rota had used part of the score in a different movie before The Godfather.
0: Mm.
1: So this feels almost like a payback, like, hey, we kind of didn't help you out on that one. Let's give you this one. But kind of one of the biggest, well, I'll, I'll tell you this, so, so it won Best Picture as well. So Coppola won for Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay with with Puzo, and Best Picture. It beat out Chinatown, which we've talked about on the show before. The Conversation, Coppola also directed, uh, we've talked about on the show before. Lenny by Bob Fosse, also talked about on the show before. Mm-hmm. And The Towering Inferno. <laughs> The film would be the first sequel to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. Can you guess the next one? Next one. Only two, to my knowledge, have won this. Oh, is it Return of the King? Return of the King is the next one. Uh, Producer Fred Ruse said that everyone felt it would actually be Chinatown's night to take home all the Oscars. They didn't feel... Because he said everyone was saying Godfather Part 2? Eh, it's not Godfather. (laughs) So they were all shocked by the results. But there's one person who didn't walk home with the Oscar that night and probably the one who deserved it the most. And that was Al Pacino and possibly one of the biggest snubs of all time. Pacino and Godfather part two Nicholson, in Chinatown Dustin Hoffman and Lenny and Albert Finney and murder on the Oregon express all lost to art Carney and Harry and Tonto. <laughs> now I haven't seen Harry and Tonto and I've heard art Carney's great, but Pacino gives possibly one of the greatest performances I've ever seen in this movie. Mm-hmm. So just based off that alone, I would say a guy that needs to go to the Pacino, but that's just me. And almost immediately after the Oscar success or kind of leading up to it, a critical reassessment would take place with the Godfire Part II. Coppola said, like, when it came out, everyone hated it. Like, he's like, I just made another movie everyone hated. Luckily, it made some money. But he's like, literally only a few months after it came out, people were like, you know, *Godfather* Part II, pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Almost as good as the first one. And within months, within a year, Godfire part two was being called one of the greatest sequels of all time. And also one of the greatest movies of all time with me saying it surpassed the original Al Pacino's performance is now considered by me as one of the greatest being named as like top five, top 20 greatest performances of all time. Roger Ebert even added the movie to his greatest movie section, upping his review from three stars to four. He said he would not change a word of his original review, but he praised the work as grippingly written, directed with confidence and artistry, Photographed by Gordon Willis in rich, warm tones. When looking back on the film of Godfather Part 2, Coppola said, to me, the tragedy of the Godfather, says Coppola, which is a tragedy of America, is about Michael. By the end of the Godfather Part 2, just like America in that period, Michael had become self-righteous, distrusted everyone, and was getting more and more like a paranoid person. Like a Nixon, is what Coppola said. Mm. So with all that, what worked about the Godfather Part 2, Thomas?
0: Uh... I mean, I feel like I'm just kind of reiterating some stuff, but I, I think the <laughs> the structure, like you said, it, it gives it something different. It sets it apart from the first one, but it is uh, it's such an interesting way to approach kind of Michael's mm-hmm. downfall and and this idea that, you know, that that Michael that, that this the Corleone family for in the, in the business sense, in the mafia sense has been like completely corrupted from, mm-hmm. from what it was meant to be at the start. And it, and it's like it, w- what we saw with the history of violence that, you know, although it might've been built with the best intentions, it was built on, on violence. And that yeah. is what will be. That is all you will be left with in the end. Even if it takes a full two generations at this point to, to come back to it. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, I, I agree. With, I mean, agree with all that um it's it's one of the best films of the era there's like great performances all around top to bottom small roles big roles uh the structure the pace of it is incredible like it's 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 so surprising that he's able to get two narratives kind of going at once and both feel like complete movies in Mm -hmm. some way um and so many different arcs with all these characters and even when characters like like say talia shire doesn't have a lot of screen time she's kind of in the beginning of it and then doesn't come up to like the last 40 minutes of it, 30 minutes of it, Mm -hmm. uh, and has some phenomenal scenes. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's and just a great kind of direction of like, instead of like, let's put them all in New York again. Let's like, Oh, let's take them at Lake Tahoe. Let's make it a little bit more subdued, more Mm -hmm. calm movie. Like, like Pacino's trying to get away from the hustle and bustle of New York, but also not get too close to Vegas. Yeah. Like he wants to have some, some like, uh, again, in a similar way of like tony montana and scarface it's like kind of the separation um between him and the rest of the world basically mm-hmm. so did anything not work with godfather part II? Oh man i mean I, I do
0: think it would be more interesting you know it, that's that's kind of the the i think uh coppola handles it well but that that is the downfall especially in this era when you didn't build in sequel contracts you know when you when you signed people is 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 losing people who couldn't come back i mean the same thing happens when duval doesn't come back in in part three and they're like here's george hamilton instead yep Yep. (laughs) but uh yeah i think it would be i think it would have a little bit more resonance if if it was uh um was it clemenza uh, depends, as the as the character in this one, but there there are there's so many people you know within the the uh, Corleone family that when they're like oh yeah you know this guy he was around yeah. that whole time you're like okay yeah sure it's like oh, I yeah, I, yeah, I knew yeah. your father the whole time I was like okay yeah sure if you say so yeah. um, but you know you do kind of wish when you when you know that that was the original plan you're like oh that would really sting to um, to have him be the one and and just lend a little bit more weight to you know, the speech that Michael gives in the study about, you know, this was this was my father's because because he lives yeah. in their house now. And it's like this was yeah. my father's office. Everything I learned from him, I learned here. Yeah. Um, that's that's probably my big one. I wish that that had worked out. But uh, yeah, beyond that, I, I mean, I think I think someone could walk out of here and be like, there's a little too much going on. There are a little too many strings. Uh, but all you gotta do is just, you know, pay attention. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just pay attention. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, there's there's some names getting thrown around, but I feel like it, it 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 gives it all to you in a in a way that that's manageable.
1: I mean, my my only thing it's it's just me. It's like I do wish we had more. I don't know where to put it, but I wish we had a little more Diane Keaton and Talia Shire. Mm, mm-hmm. I feel like that's one of always becoming the issues with this series. Is that Keaton has always kind of seen as like kind of a afterthought sometimes mm-hmm. in a way like she doesn't have many scenes like in this one. She kind of has like four or five scenes in a three and a half hour long movie. Mm-hmm. Um, And I want and I wondered if we could have had more of her. It might just be because it's Diane Keaton and you kind of want to have again, it's because you say it's a, it's a role so different than what she plays later on in her career you kind of want to see more of her like her play this more
0: mm-hmm.
1: than what she's playing it. So that's my only big thing. But yeah, so film facts. I have a lot of these real quick. So I'm going to run through them. The presence of oranges in all three Godfather movies indicates that a death or an assassination attempt will soon happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The senator is framed for murder after playing uh, playing with oranges at the Corleone house. And Johnny Ola brings the orange into Michael's office for the attempt on Michael's life. Uh, Don Fen- 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 Fenicio, uh Basically, the Don that Vito kills eats an orange just before he's gunned down, and Mike Corleone is eating an orange while plotting to kill Hyman Roth. Young Vito buys an orange from a street vendor uh, when plotting the assassination on the Don. At again, like I said, old Vito dies after eating and playing with oranges with his grandson in the first movie. The unnamed senators in the committee were played by people who were primarily screenwriters and producers. Uh hmm. William Bowers was one. Roger Corman was one. Oh, no way. Uh Phil Feldman and Richard Matheson was one. Hmm. When uh little veto arrives at Ellis Island, he is marked with a circle circled X. Ellis Island immigrants remarked this if the inspector believed the person had a mental or physical defect. <laughs> also, I love that Vito gets the solo treatment when he goes to Ellis Island. When he's is like, I'm I'm Vito. Uh, Whatever from Corleone, he's like, "Hey, you're Vito Corleone, (laughs) solo. Yeah,
0: Um, you have no people. You're solo.
1: Yeah, that's it's like because they like basically it's a miss. It's which which happened all the time. Ellis Island was like people would mishear things or spell things wrong, and that's how names and stuff changed when when immigrants came over to America at Ellis Island." All right. Timothy Carey, who you know is the wild and crazy guy in The Killing, uh, he apparently turned down the offer to play Luca Brasi in the original film, mm-hmm. uh, and he decided to audition for this movie as well. When he auditioned for Francis Ford Coppola and Scorsese was present as well, Carey pulled a prop gun loaded with blanks out of a pastry box, and he had it with him, and he fired a shot at Coppola oh, before pretending to commit suicide. Reports, he didn't do it, but commit pretended. Uh, reports differ as to whether Coppola immediately offered Carey the role, or a role, or whether Carey was removed by security. In addition, the actor made several monetary demands that caused him to be passed over for the movie. John Cazale, as many know, only appeared in five films, and all of them involved Al Pacino, Robert Nero, Robert De Niro, and/or Francis Ford Coppola. Mm-hmm. This is the only movie that he made that had all three of them involved. <laughs> when Vito pays a visit to his hometown in Sicily, intent on avenging his mother and father's death. He stays at Don Tomasino's villa, the same place where his son Michael will (laughs) later hide out in the first movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. De Niro is one of the only eight actors to win an Academy Award for a role primarily in a language other than English, since almost all of his uh, dialogue is in uh, Italian and Sicilian dialect in Italian. Oh, yeah. The boat that brought young Vito was was apparently the Moschula, a real ship that now resides in Philadelphia. It was actually built 3 years after the film was set in 1904 it is now a luxury restaurant in Philadelphia. Wow. It turned into a restaurant. So whenever you're in Philly next time, Thomas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go stop with the mushroom. <laughs> um last one, according to the script, wait, this. the movie's last the movie's last shot of Michael Corleone gazing off at the lake. Did you notice that he looked older?
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Apparently, it takes place in 1968. Oh, okay. That accounts why he has additional wrinkles and a receding hairline and graying. It was actually the concluding aspect of a scene with his son, Anthony, who declares that he will not follow in his father's footsteps with the mob. But basically, Coppola had lost the light before they ended that day. Hmm. and so they didn't finish that scene
0: i've always wondered if it just feels like you look so much older because we've just come back from the flashback and that's
1: what that's what it feels i guess that's what's supposed to like now without the context of what was originally there but there was a scene where like the ending was going to be his son saying he didn't want to be a part of the family business anymore or be a part of the be a part of the mob when he turned 18 hmm. so with that, let's move to move to awards the beatrice Strait award oh actor actress on the scenes that kills it
0: uh limited scene all right who who are we who counts for limited scenes in this one
1: i almost think talia shire counts for this okay i might even put keaton in here because i'm basing it off time time like the runtime
0: mm-hmm.
1: like to me if you're in just 20 minutes of this three and a half hour long movie i could cons- consider you limited scenes i think shire's in there i think keaton might be in there
0: like Lee Strasberg.
1: Mm, I think he's more supporting. I think he's more supporting.
0: All right. Well then I I if, I think
1: I think James Conn fits in there.
0: <laughs> I think it, it in that case, I think it's Diane Keaton for sure.
1: I think it's Diane Keaton as well. I would go with I think Shire is great, but I think Keaton, I think the abortion scene uh yeah. it is kind of Keaton's shining moment in this movie. And also one of one of Pacino's shining moments as well. Mm-hmm. Um it's where you get I think possibly the most complexity of his of his character. Yeah. In terms of dialogue driven absolutely all right Annie Potts x-factor award supporting actor actress that is the most memorable
0: I think it's John Cazale
1: I think it's John Cazale as well
0: that's that that really is that I didn't want to show my hand too much at the beginning but that is part of the reason too is like uh has a special place in my heart because I think we get a lot more out of him than we do in the first one and I think he's fantastic
1: I think De Niro is great in this movie. I think he's, fan- I, I think the, the, the tasks to undertake, uh, like to, to tackling Brando basically is like, could be a, 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 a death note for a young actor. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like, oh, it's that guy.
0: It's a guy that does Marlon Brando.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that like, yeah, like a bad impersonation. So that right there is a, like, is, is a hard feat and should not be understated. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. But, because again just kazale and and the and that boathouse scene mm-hmm. i'm smart that is just an incredible scene mm-hmm. <laughs> and and i don't know i can't remember if it was coppola's idea because of that chair that's just like keeps sinking and sinking and it sinking keeps sinking into like he's for he's trying it's like again it's the idea of like the uh, like picking a chair out is so important in a movie because like that that chair how he sits showcases the struggle of fredo Mm -hmm. of the anytime he tries to get up he's always being pulled back down and he looks like he's he's the way he's kind of seated is is very like weak and meek and like just kind of laid out like he's like almost like he's just flubbering in in the chair and then just the sweetness of him too later when he's talking with anthony michael's son about like the hail marys and the fishing and like Oh, I do the Hail Marys, uh, and that always helps me catch fish. Which apparently was something that Coppola did when he was younger. He would say Hail Marys, and that's what helped him make get fish <laughs> when he went fishing. It's just such a sweet moment, and they, also the moment between Pacino and him at the funeral, mm-hmm. when like he when he's sitting there hunched over, and then just hugs his brother, and you see the hands kind of grasping at Pacino, and then Pacino looks up at the henchman, like almost like this doesn't change shit. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to die either yep, way Yep I'm just saying goodbye to him basically Oh man I think yeah I think Cazell's great I think Cazell's great And again he said the C- Cuban Revolution New Year's is amazing Alright The Gene Hatton MVP The person who carries the movie Director, actor, writer, etc uh,
0: I think it's I think it's Pacino In this one for Pacino me too. Yeah. I think
1: it's Pacino too yep. I think if it's Godfire 1 I'd go with Coppola mm-hmm. I think Pacino all the way with this Yeah. Yeah, I th- I think I think Coppola and Puzo and everyone basically say it almost feels like, hey, we screwed you over in the first one, kind of in the Godfather. Just take it. Mm-hmm. Just take the whole movie. It puts him in such a. Like, if you want to see, like how advanced so quickly as an actor, just go Godfather one to Godfather two, because he. And proves and i'm not saying he was bad in godfire one he just like he matures so fast as an actor mm-hmm. from one to two to where it's a more nuanced performance it's a completely different performance than the first one it's a quiet performance it's a menacing performance it's a, a, a it's a game of mental chess i think for his character the entire time like i said we haven't really talked about the cuba stuff that he's in when he's like talking with Hyman Roth with with Strasburg a lot like i think he's incredible. In every single moment in this movie. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Final questions, Thomas. (laughs) This might be one we just have to not do. I don't don't think we can recast this one. (laughs) 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 If you had to recast it in a modern movie, who would you cast?
0: Oh, God. Yeah, I really don't. I don't know that this is one that you can do. Feels
1: weird. Or do you do it in the 1950s or 40s? of the time uh i don't know we've uh, always tried it but i know this is one i'm very like is there really anyone like who do you like who do you top the these actors with there's really no one
0: yeah this is such a and it's such a specific time you know there's there's yep when, when we're doing like you know when we're doing films of the of the like 40s and 50s There's very specific type of acting and you're like, oh, what would it be if we like had a bunch of like method, like a bunch of people from the Lee Strasberg generation uh, like trying these roles? But like this is there's there's just no for better or for worse. I mean, we've gotten a lot of horror stories out of like the method people of this era, but there's there's nothing quite like the the acting of this period specifically.
1: (laughs) just just pe- just two dudes being madmen you know what i mean <laughs> like like you're basically watching de niro and pacino just be like who can out madmen the other mm-hmm. like de Niro's like let me just consume myself with this guy's world in a terms of almost in an in a, in a external way that's mm-hmm. the thing de niro feels more like this external actor where he's always it's the mustache where him and Coppola fall over should he have de- uh uh brando's mustache at one point um and they flipped a coin to determine <laughs> if if he would have a mustache uh De Niro's we talked about this in Goodfellas. He's always like the external type character. How does he walk? How does he do this? Pacino in this is much more of an internal actor. And that's what I think is so fascinating. Why it works so well is that you have these two actors who are kind of opposites of one another of how they're approaching a a, a character to play in this movie, external versus internal. I I just don't know anyone who can do it. I know they're, they're trying to do it with heat, heat two or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I don't know if I can touch it with ten foot pole. <laughs> um so yeah, I think for the first time ever, I don't know if he does before. I think we'll leave it be. <laughs> I think we'll leave it be. I, I, I th- would th-
0: recast th- the guy who played Comenza in the first one. In <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. Does this film fit with any other genres besides the kind of mob mobster, mafia genre, gangster genre?
0: Um. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a family drama, like we've like we've said a lot. It um. Yeah. It it is. It is the the whole conflict of can you can you be a family, mm-hmm. a, a real a blood family when you are also uh, the mafia family? Um, mm-hmm. The answer is that you can't. Uh, that's probably the big one. There's a little bit of like his history, you know, specifically in this. I think yeah, this I, one probably more than the last one. It's like with the cute with the real mm-hmm. life stuff of Cuba and these the mafia trials in yeah. the Senate. It, it it feels a little bit more historical than the yeah. first one just kind of being a period piece.
1: Yeah, I would argue it's also like an immigrant story mm-hmm. with in, ter- in terms of, of terms of Don Vito's uh, character um, and seeing kind of coming over to because there's a lot of those at some point of like coming over to America, the, the kind of trials of all that and dealing with what it's like to be an immigrant in America, especially in a time when America's kind of finding its footing in like city kind of ways with urban areas, with New York or wherever. Um, so it's very much that um yeah i put those there and then how does this film fit with within the genre of the mob mobster mafia genre uh
0: i mean it's one of, it's one of the elites it's it's on the it's on the mountain yeah um yeah like i said i i, I said during the got during the goodfellas uh episode and and i may have made some people mad that i think you know i i do think Coppola romanticizes the mafia a little bit more than than Scorsese does. Mm-hmm. Um and and I mean he he definitely does. Like you know there there is no doubt that there that there's, there, there is something promising to what Don Vito's doing in the beginning. You know there there is this idea yeah. of like he he's he he had to do it to to help the people yeah to help his people. Um and and there is this idea that like it it could all be about family if if they they put the violence aside and the mistrust aside. Yeah. Whereas, you know, with Goodfellas, it's like it's it was always about money. That's it. Period. It was yeah. about money and status. Period. And mm-hmm. when the money and the status weren't coming anymore, I threw everyone under the bus immediately. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think I think of the modern era, the Godfather, the first two Godfather movies specifically, probably did more to. to especially to come into a genre that had already been so shaped by Hollywood with the Cagney era to, to come in and Mm -hmm. then be like, this is what this is now. This is completely different and I'm changing it. And, and, and I think that, that these, these two movies, uh, you know, for probably up until, you know, with, with Scarface and, and, and up until Goodfellas came out, nothing was more influential on the drama on the, on the genre than, uh, than these two films for sure
1: yeah no i agree and it and it's uh again other stuff the kind of we talked about is like it kind of showcases the idea of like the paranoia that can comes in within within this world um the underbelly of the american dream the kind of
0: the pervasiveness of violence uh, yes the you know like like we said with long good friday and history of violence you know in this one michael is my at the beginning of the film michael is in some way making an attempt to go legitimate but yeah but you're never once you introduce violence into the
1: equation it's never going to leave and then final genre questions real quick before we go uh what are some movies we didn't talk about you want to shout out here
0: i mean we've we've we covered it way back but um but i'll never i'll never overlook an opportunity to shout out uh johnny dangerously uh (laughs)
1: That's not what I thought. Like, that's not even on our list. So I guess I have to add that. that I didn't I, think about I, I that mean, I,
0: We've talked about it. We did, we did parody. Yeah, uh, we, we, did, we, did we did our we did, parody we, month. We, there, there's something, especially Amy, when you, Amy,
1: Amy, Hecker, Amy Heckerling episodes. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I think
0: there's something too, when you are covering a genre, when you are exploring mm-hmm. a genre, there is something really, uh, there's something very important about, about looking at, uh yeah. uh parody of that genre and there have there's, mm-hmm. there's been a decent amount of of mafia parodies uh but i, I uh johnny dangerously is 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 probably my favorite yeah. i haven't, I haven't yeah. revisited mickey blue eyes in a long time i don't know that i could uh that i could recommend that one uh uh on on the
1: podcast <laughs> these are not the ones i was expecting but, but no i mean if we're if we're
0: getting back yeah. in into the into the reel of it um I, I, we've, we've talked to Scorsese. I, I love The Departed. That's one that, mm-hmm. that people, you know, when it won Best Picture, everybody was like, boo, that's not even, it's nowhere near Scorsese's best movie. And it's not near Scorsese's best movie, but it is still a great movie. It yeah. is a, it is a fun, pulpy, completely different kind of take on the, the Mafia movie. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it is, it is very, well done um i really like road to perdition which is one that which is kind of a a, an outlier from what we covered i mean we did we did uh history of violence and we talked a little bit about eastern promises but eastern promises is you know about the russian mafia but a a very very good one as well and um uh anything uh miller's crossing
1: yeah i thought yeah i thought you were gonna say that one
0: yeah yeah a little coen brothers take on the genre Mm -hmm. um yeah those are those are all and and trying to think of the of the italian ones that i watched i mean i think everybody when i was in school i think everyone would know gamora that's probably the Mm -hmm. you know um there's a um there's an actor from the movie uh he's he's in gamora he's he's also in the um the great beauty he's a, he's my favorite italian mm. actor his name's uh, tony Sorvio. but uh he did a movie called il divo it was one of paolo sorrentino's kind of breakouts um mm. that is about the uh Andriotti like the prime minister of italy who mm. like really kind of let the mafia flourish under him uh-huh. through the like uh-huh. 50s and 60s and it it's it's a very fun movie to watch because it is Trying to shoot like a score set it's it's trying to make the political side of the mafia look as flashy as mm. a mafia movie from America and in doing so make it kind of show how ridiculous it is that all of this is is allowed from yeah. the from the political side and that that's a very fun watch
1: okay yeah i and to check those out um more the Italian ones than i've than i've seen um I'm gonna shout out some older ones uh Guys shout uh, out Jimmy Cagney movie. I would say Angels with Dirty Faces. Yes, absolutely. gangster. I think it's is a phenomenal kind of gangster, mafia movie, mob movie. Um, I would throw out um, The Pirate as well, of course. Um, I I really like Donnie Brasco with Pacino and mm. Depp, I would say. Um, I also love Denzel and American Gangster. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually a pretty good movie. I think Russell Crowe's amazing in it. I think that's like the unsung hero of that movie and then I think my last one kind of the underrated one needs to be discussed more and that's the most violent year with Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain I've, I've
0: always wanted to watch that one I've never, I really, never like, seen I that really
1: one. like I really like a most violent year like honestly if you're doing okay I'm backtracking a little bit if you're recasting it Oscar Isaac for for Michael that's what I would say <laughs> that's the one I would say I think that's I think in terms of like the, the look of it I think Isaac's kind of your guy if you're doing a Pacino type character that's they should get for heat just get oscarized to play pacino (laughs) and heat i think that's your guy um yeah and so what'd you learn about this genre through this series thomas i
0: mean like i like i said at the top of the episode I, i wasn't expecting us to kind of have so many like going legit uh, trying yeah. to go legit movies as we did, because um, it it doesn't feel like as big of a. That's more of like a heist film, <laughs> you know, yeah. one last job, and then I'm going one clean, one last job, and then I'm done. Kind of theme, but um, but yeah, you know, it it is something I kind of expected. You know, it, it is a genre that in the last sixty years has been dominated by you know a certain amount of filmmakers, uh, yeah. so and
1: actors and actors, and actors well. yeah, yeah.
0: So it it's been fun to kind of explore one from each of those and and you know talk about the ones that that fill in the lines and Mm -hmm. um and yeah i think there's i think there's a lot more to tackle here that's it's a big it's a big month but um, It's it's yeah yeah it's a big it's a big genre but but i you know i think we we got to cover some some classics and and kind of explore that idea of uh you know what what is the motivation is it is what what brings somebody to the mafia like no matter what what brings them what motivates you to kind of break the rules and want to be part of of this you know bigger thing and Mm -hmm. but it's you know the same downfall awaits everybody or at least in these movies they
1: do yeah i agree with all that yeah I, i think i was just learning kind of like i think the marriage part i wasn't expecting of how like if you go into the mafia, your marriage is gonna be, suffer because <laughs> of it, like in some way. And and again, history of is kind of the prime one where it was like, oh, they're not in the, he's not tied to it at all, marriage is great. Once there's the inkling of that happening, the marriage <laughs> falls apart. So uh, that was just kind of surprising. And the paranoia, the idea of paranoia of like someone taking your spot mm-hmm. and that kind of creeping in there. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a really, it's a diverse type of uh shower to to look into like so we we didn't talk about like boston crime mafia movies like The departed Mm -hmm. um like friends of eddie coyle movies like that that i think are kind of up there we might have to do that one day like a a boston crime month or something (laughs) a very specific thing um you know right done the town but yeah i I, i've learned a lot in that way so um so yeah so next month thomas what are we doing
0: we are doing rivalry so so in, if you're not an nba viewer a couple of weeks ago they had rivalry week in the nba mm-hmm. which was ultimately kind of a dud because uh, Joel Embiid and Bede got hurt but
1: um <laughs> uh, sorry for laughing at Joel. i just yeah i understand what you mean it me. was like
0: that was the 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 uh banner game was going to be uh Joel versus luca and then uh he got hurt but um yeah the so but it got it got in my head i was just thinking about like rivalry week and and that is a that's kind of a storyline for sports and it got me thinking about like outside of the sports genre rivalry movies and Mm -hmm. you know the first thing that came to mind was amadeus which is a movie i i love that we've never kind of had the situation the the opportunity to cover before so i pitched it to brandon and, and he immediately said uh the prestige so um so then we were (laughs) we were set on it from there so there's a a preview of two movies coming your way
1: and then david said toy story and you're kind of like you're doing amadeus prestige and toy story and just wait to the fourth movie which is bring it on it's gonna be a wild month everybody (laughs) um and we'll discuss it more because it was kind of like how do we define a rivalry in movies um So we'll discuss that more next month. I think it's a fascinating one. I think things like Amadeus, as we talked, we'll talk about how ties to Oppenheimer, because no one has said, I think previously, that that Amadeus was a big influence on Oppenheimer. And we've seen a lot through other stories the past, I think, 10 years or so. Um, And I think it's kind of a unique story kind of structure. So Mm -hmm. we'll discuss that next month and next week with Amadeus. Uh, Yeah, on our Patreon, be sure to check it out. We've talked about Long Good Friday, Thomas and I. Um, be sure to sign up for that Patreon $1, $5, $10 levels. Um, you get more episodes, more content, all that stuff. And it's kind of fun for us to keep talking about movies on a whole other platform, basically. But yeah, that's what we have for this episode. If you have any questions for us, feel free to contact Destination podcast at gmail.com. Send your questions, comments. And if you're a new listener to the show or a fan of the show, and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us, be sure to do so so you can stay updated on all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcast, Spotify google podcast and if you haven't already be sure to rise to your preferred podcast platform
0: yeah to our listeners out there who who listen out tune in every week and, and have still not written us a review i know i know it was you you broke my heart
1: <laughs> come on you are my brother um get in the car <laughs> write a review write a review but yeah then if you can that helps us out tremendously it gets kind of spreads the word about the show and, and helps more people find us and finally, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, TikTok, all those places. Thomas, as always, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye.